That's an interesting song we just sang, is it not? Let's see, Twill be my theme in glory. Will you be singing that theme in glory? I've wondered at times, will there be, when, when, um, when we're... Yeah, but that's not glory. That's not glory. Glory's still to come. It's even after that one. Yeah. <laughs> the, the scriptures indicate that, um, and, well, let me say it this way. I've often wondered, if when we get there, do you suppose that after we've been in eternity for a little while, we'll look at each other with, with the joy that we have of, of knowing we're, we're citizens of heaven? Do you suppose we'll ever go, Father, how was it we got here again? And he retells the story. He just starts at Genesis and goes all the way through and retells the story. We'd have plenty of time to listen. I mean, who's going who's gonna to walk away from that story, huh? Uh, and maybe as he tells it, it's got all the pictures with it and all the, uh, the videos with it and all kinds of things. As you can hear the, um, actually hear the sons of, um, of the morning, sons of God singing for every day of creation and what those songs are going to sound like. I... I don't know about you, but I really do look forward to getting to being a part of that. that that's just going to be amazing. I just can't even imagine how amazing it's going to be. Well, tonight, what we're going to do, we're going to look at a lot of chapters. We're going to be in Acts chapter 21. So if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 21, we're going to be in Acts 21, but we're going to be from Acts 21 through Acts 28. Now, this, uh, the study we're doing here has not been a, just a study through the book of Acts. It's been a study because the book of Acts goes from Jerusalem to Rome. And that's what's going on here. What we're trying to do is trace the transition of the church. What happened to the church? It started out in Jerusalem, and it starts there as a Jewish movement. I mean, it's at, it's at the temple. Uh, some of the priests are, are getting saved. Some of the priests are doing things. Levites are doing things. Uh, they're all getting very excited about the law. And rightly they should because the new covenant was between Israel and Judah. So it's right that they should get excited about it. But it wasn't with the Gentiles. It was with Israel and Judah, this new covenant. So how do the Gentiles get included in it? And as the Gentiles are getting included in it, do they have to become Jewish in order to appreciate it, in order to be saved, in order to be justified before God? So this study says Jerusalem meets Rome and finds Babylon. Because you're going to have Jerusalem, that, that whole Jewish movement side of Christianity, running headlong into the Gentile side. And how is that going to affect that church? What was Jesus' goal when he created the church? If, if I could go all the way back to uh, creation past, or I'm sorry, uh, eternity past, what was he envisioning for what the church would be? Uh, was, was he envisioning what we have today? Was there something else he had in mind? Did any part of the church get twisted along the way? Well, certainly I know that there were some difficulties along the way, or we wouldn't have had the books of the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, because those are seven letters written to seven churches in a corrective manner. 
something was heading in the wrong direction, and he was writing those letters to correct that wrong direction. So something was uh, uh, going amiss, and something needed to be corrected. So what we're looking at is, what was it that happened? So we've had to do a little historical research here. And what we've seen that there was a time when Paul, who was a Pharisee, brought up in the Pharisee way, taught by Gamaliel, one of the chief rabbis, one of the greatest teachers, and he had gone all over in the Turkey, or I'm sorry, the uh, Asia Minor, Macedonia, Greece. He'd gone over all over that region right there and had encountered Roman philosophy, Greek philosophy, that, that kind of thought. And he was wrestling with, do these Gentiles have to become Jewish? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to come under the law? Do they have to do that in order to be a part of the, of the church? Remember, he brought all that back to the church and said, tell me what I'm supposed to do here. I've got these guys who are clearly saved. These are Gentile people. Do they have to become Jewish in order for them? And the church council ruled, no, they don't. Did the church council have that authority to do that? Whether they did or they didn't, that's what they did, and that's been the history of the church. Everybody want to see where I'm coming from? They said, no, you don't have to become Jewish, but here's what you, you can't eat meat with blood in it. You can't eat anything strangled. Uh, you can't eat meat sacrificed to idols. And you got to take care of the poor. Okay? So those are all things that he said to the church. But he didn't tell those Gentiles they had to become believers or they have to become uh, Jewish people. They didn't have to do it. So what we're looking at now is what happens when the culture gets fed up with the gospel? Is it possible for the culture to... I mean, what's the, what does gospel mean? It means good news, right? So it means good news, and if it's good news, why wouldn't people be happy about it? But the truth of the matter was, they weren't happy. So let's, let's just get the picture. Here is a Jewish man. He's going to all these Gentile people, usually going to the synagogue, where there is a combination of Jewish people and Gentile people, and this Jewish man is telling them about a Jewish man who is their Savior, a Jewish man who, if I can say this, is the Son of God. Well, they're not un unfamiliar with the term Son of God because every one of their emperors were also called the Son of God. Uh, they were called a Son of God, I guess I should say. So they were not unfamiliar with it, but if Jesus is a son of God, if he's the son of God, then if our emperor is also son of God, what does that make Jesus? The emperor of some country. So now they're confronted with, okay, what is this thing the gospel is? Is this about a message about another person that's going to conquer the Roman world? That's kind of a threat. As a matter of fact, most of the Christian martyrs early on were martyred because they were seen as traitors to the Roman nation. You follow where I'm coming from? They were seen as seditionists trying to overthrow the Roman government. That was never what the believers were after. The believers were talking about a coming kingdom. But if, if we were walking around 
around today saying, there is another nation that's going to overtake this one and all the nations of the world. How happy do you suppose Americans would be? Is that, does that sound like a solid message for you? Well, it didn't to them. To all those people that, that were Roman citizens, they're saying, what, you, you're talking about somebody's going to conquer this nation? Right now, we got it good with the Romans, uh, so why do we need another nation, and why should somebody come along and conquer it? That, that sounds like a threat, and that's the way they dealt with it at first. But as, Jesus, as these Jewish man is talking about a Jewish man who's the son of God, he was crucified. Who gets crucified? The worst criminals, okay? Others could just be stoned or could be beaten or, you know, just put in prison for a while. But you took the worst people, especially those that were the enemies of Rome, and you put them on a cross. They were horrible people, okay? And you wanted them publicly displayed before all the the people around that here is a criminal of the worst, lowest order, Okay, so now what I'm being told is that me, a Gentile, who have hated Jews all my life, am now supposed to believe in a Jew? Am I supposed to believe that that Jew is the son of God? Okay, now you're, now you're telling me he was crucified? You're kidding. I'm supposed to trust in somebody that's the lowest form of criminal there is? And then comes the whammy. And he's raised from the dead. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. You've gone just a little too far with that message. Raised from the dead? Yes, raised from the dead. Here was the big deal. People were flocking to it. People were believing it. They saw it as the good news that it is. It was not critical to them that he's a Jewish person. As a matter of fact, if you were part of the synagogue, you knew the coming Messiah had to be Jewish. You knew that the king that was going to come, that was going to be the final king, had to be Jewish. He had to be from the tribe of Judah, which is what Jew means. He had to be from the tribe of Judah. He had to be from the family of David. All of those things had to be true. So when you're hearing that Jesus has fulfilled all those prophecies, you're accepting Jesus. Now, when you get outside the synagogue, now you've got people seeing what's changing with the people who are a part of that synagogue, and they're receiving this gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, a religious change is okay until it becomes a cultural change. And it's still okay if it's a cultural change, unless it cuts down on my good time, it cuts down on my authority, it cuts down on my power, and if it changes my economy. If you change the business structure, people get all upset. You follow where I'm coming from? And do you remember one, matter of fact, both times that riots happened that Paul was someplace? they came over the idolaters of the city crying out, these men are tearing down our culture, they're tearing down our goddess, they're tearing down everything. We've got to get rid of these people. Why were they bothered by that? Because these guys sold statuettes of those little goddesses. And if everybody starts believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, they won't believe in the goddess. If they won't believe in the goddess, they won't be buying little silver statues. 
they won't be making offerings and they, they won't be putting gifts into Diana's temple. They won't be bringing gifts into the Acro Corinth. They won't be bringing all those things that make the economy flow. You see where we're at? So let's take a look at our notes and let's figure out we're living in dangerous times. The more Paul was engaged in this, the more you can see that he was living in dangerous times. All right? A message that changes paradigms and cultures will make enemies. But if it affects economies or power structures, it will make deadly enemies. These are people who want to kill you if you're going to take their business away, okay? So Paul was a thoroughly convinced radical for Christ. His urgency and certainty about the gospel irritated a number of those who did not like his message. Though Paul was often opposed by the business people and powerful of the community of Gentiles, he was most often opposed by and vehemently hated by the Jewish population. They sought his death. They had no appreciation for his way of having Jerusalem meet Rome. They, they were not appreciative of this guy coming from Jerusalem with a message that was Jewish kind of in content. It's talking about a Jewish Messiah, but it's not requiring Gentiles to become Jews. That is against their traditions. That's against the cultures. That's never the way it's been before. If before, when you lived in Israel, if you were going to live in Israel and you wanted to be a part of Israel, you had to go through all kinds of ceremonies, you had to go through all kinds of teaching, all kinds of training, and you had to agree to be Jewish. Now here comes this young upstart, and he's not requiring people become Jewish. And he's telling them about the Jewish Messiah, but he's not requiring everybody to get to the temple. He's not requiring sacrifices to be given at the temple. He's not requiring any of that. That is a change in the paradigm. Everybody follow where I'm at? That's a change in the way you think. That's a change in your culture. And uh, when, it, when it became that, they're going to start uh, looking for his death. They had no appreciation for the way he was doing that. He was messing up Judaism, and he was offering some strange new gospel that they didn't know anything about. They felt he had too many compromises of the Jewish faith to the Roman heathens and atheists. That made for people who wanted to see him either imprisoned or dead. Jesus already had been hated and persecuted by some people during his ministry. He was an encounter of heaven with Judaism of his day. Now, here we're talking about Jerusalem meeting Rome. When Jesus comes, that's heaven meeting Judaism. He's now coming down to confront what his people had done with the Torah. They had changed the Torah. Remember? You had Torah. Here's, here's Moses' Old Testament Torah. Okay, You got the Torah here. Well, Moses says, there shall be no common labor on the sixth day. All right, you, you'll labor six days, but no common labor on the seventh day. All right. So, Rich, what's common labor? Oh, okay. Okay, Gordon, what's common labor here? How am I going to know if you're doing common labor or not? Gordon, can you start a fire on the Sabbath? That would be common labor, wouldn't it? So in the winter, are you supposed to be cold? Do you eat cold sandwiches in the winter? How are you going to... 
Oh, wait a minute. Roxanne, can you fix dinner on the Sabbath? How are you going to eat? Is that going to be a fast day? Is that, is that what this is? We're all going to have a fast day out of this thing? So along come the teachers to say, you know, we need some rules here. Why don't we look this over and have Moses teach us what he meant by common labor? So they would pray, and they would ask Moses, give us the oral law. We know what the written law is. It's right here. But we don't have an explanation for how to do that. So, Sheila, what we've decided was that Moses is teaching that you can walk 39 steps, but you can't walk 40. There you go. There you go. All right. So she's okay with that. Uh, you're okay with that, Julie? All right. Good, good, good. Um, you can't, well, no, you, you'll have to go ahead and feed your donkey. But you can't feed your cats. They, they can get things on their own. You understand where we're coming from? So now what I'm going to do is start giving you the rules for how things are going to happen. When you go out into the courtyard, well, let's say when you go out where the Gentiles exist, are you going to touch something the Gentiles touched? Well, there's a good chance you, you will by accident. So when you come back in the house, how are you going to be clean? Well, the COVID rules were you wash for 20 seconds, okay? Well, that's not the way they did it. You had to take your water and pour it from the left hand to the right. Set it down. Right hand to the left. Set it down. Left hand, water it together. Dry it on a clean rag, which is now an unclean rag. You follow where we're coming from? Where in the Torah did it ever say that? It didn't. It was the rule that was being given by the rabbis. Talmud. It was going to be the oral law that was now going to be in force more than Torah. The oral law was an explanation of the Torah. Everybody follow where I'm at? Okay. Now that means with this explanation that you're going to put more emphasis on the explained law then you are going to the text. You kind of know what the text says, but how do you apply it? So you create laws that do it. So when Jesus came, they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not wash their hands? Now, lest you get the idea that the disciples went around wiping their nose and, and giving on the... If they were asking about the ceremonial washing... They were asking, why did they not pour from the left to the right and then do it to certain? Why, why did they not do that? That's the correct way. And Jesus is saying, that's your tradition. That's not the Word of God. And he came from heaven to reintroduce what the Torah was. What did he call himself? Lord of the Sabbath. He came to, to say, I came to fulfill the law, not to do away with it. You guys have... have in essence, done away with it because you've created another law 
that has to be obeyed. So Jesus came to correct that. So that's heaven meeting Jerusalem. Now, Jesus has come, changed that, and now he's leaving from Jerusalem with this message that he's left with the disciples, and they're going to go into the rest of the world. And so that's what he's encountering. So Jesus, let us see, Jesus had been hated and persecuted by some people during his ministry. He was an encounter of heaven with Judaism of his day, a Judaism that was the creation of the rabbis, scribes, Pharisees, and other lawyers. He confronted their traditions. His was heaven meets Jerusalem in an attempt to correct it. Eventually, he would allow them to abuse him, violate him, and ultimately take his life. But his life was a sacrifice to God for the salvation of millions of others who would follow him. His death had true and real meaning for millions. It was not a waste. Okay. But Jesus had also told his disciples, if they've hated me, they will hate you. If I had tribulation, you will have tribulation. Know this, that in this world you will have tribulation. That was his promise. That was his description. You are going to have tribulation. You can't avoid it. You are a, one of me, and since they hated me, they're going to hate you. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. But I've, I've said this, that with that tribulation, you'll have my peace. You'll have my joy. All right? So... In letter D, Jesus had told his disciples on the last night of his earthly existence that just as he had experienced hatred and trouble, so would all those who follow him. He explained that hatred, trouble, persecution, and even death would await those who follow him. It is a part of our inheritance in Christ. He told us in advance so it would not come as a shock when it happens just as he said it would. So the, his goal in telling us that you're going to have tribulation, that you're going to have persecution, that you could even die in this thing, was so that you're not surprised by it. When it does happen, and it will happen, you're not shocked by it. You knew that was what was supposed to come up. Well, look at the letter E. The apostles knew well that persecution would come. For instance, Paul uh, wrote, he's writing this to Timothy, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Who will suffer persecution? All who do what? Who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He wrote in Romans 8, in verses 17 and 18, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, that suffering doesn't always have to be persecution. Can I just say this? It's suffering when people don't recognize who you are. Remember, Jesus came to his own and his own knew him not. How much pain do you suppose that was? How much struggle do you suppose that was that when Jesus came to his very own people, fulfilling all these scriptures, they couldn't recognize him and treated him as if he was some sort of heretic? That's pain in itself, okay? Well, anyway, Peter also wrote, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as, so, as though some strange thing happened. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So the picture is this. 
Jesus told us that suffering and persecution are a part of who we are. That's what we can expect. Paul's saying if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. Peter is writing, don't think it's strange when the fiery trial comes. That's what we knew was supposed to come. And if we suffer together with him, we'll be glorified together with him. So the sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. So receive that as the truth and reality. Don't be shocked. Uh, I guess I'm going to say because most of us have lived in a time where we've had freedom of speech, freedom of religion, we live in a country where no one has been a, a hassle to us, we've kind of got spoiled. That's not what our future may be. Everybody follow where I'm at. Let's go to letter F. We conclude that it would be normal for the believer to suffer for Jesus rather than not suffer. Okay? So the norm is we suffer persecution. The exception is we don't. Okay? So it's our heritage and it's our history to suffer in persecution. It is what our Lord told us would happen and what the apostles suffered that we have lived in a free country in which its citizens have exercised freedom of religion and speech is the exception to the rule, not the rule. We are grateful that men and women of character and faith have been in the ascendancy of power to this day. So we can be grateful that the people from, let's say, 1776, when that declaration is being made, up to this day have been the kind of people who said, we are going to have freedom of religion. We're going to respect one another's beliefs. Even if you're wrong, I'm going to respect your right to believe that madness. But I'm going to reserve the right to talk to you about it so that I can show you who Jesus Christ really is. All right? Letter G. Therefore, as an application of this reality, we should anticipate or even expect some form of persecution leading to arrests, imprisonments, or even death to take place in our own country. I know that may sound like a too, too bold a statement. I don't think it is. I don't think it takes too long for a country to switch quickly from one kind of a government to another. Um, let's, let's just take COVID as a for instance. How quickly did it take uh, for us to come completely under the, the uh, direction of the director of public health? Boom, that quick, without, not, without necessarily a lot of evidence or anything else, we were under that, and we all exercised good caution. We listened to them, and, and well, we should. But after a while, when we knew, wait a minute, things are not exactly what you say they are. You're, you're not telling us the whole story. You're being untruthful with us. You're calling deaths of people COVID deaths when they're not really COVID deaths. You're, you're saying it spread before you knew how it was spread. So you were saying things to us that were not legitimate. So how long did that take? Shar uh, and I were in Texas March of whatever that was, 2019, or I, I forget now when that all started. Was it 2020? Okay. We were down there on spring break from Berean Christian School. While we're down there, so much information has been passed on, we didn't know if we'd be permitted back in the state again. Because Illinois was having some severe rules 
that made it sound like if you're out of the state now, don't bother to come back in because we're, we're under strict restrictions here. We're not going to let anybody do anything. And we're, we're kind of looking at each other saying, should we leave now? Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. Just imagine. That's, that's tantamount to a visa. Here is your visa that gets you into this country, into the, the next state. Okay? So uh, that's how quickly that took place, kids, if you follow where I'm coming from. So how much do you think it would take to go to completely to ta- let's let's just take Illinois for instance just this last lame duck session what has happened in the lame duck session my goodness the second amendment just went out the window uh, businesses uh, especially those that have FFL license where you can receive um, uh, firearms across one state to another. They came under severe attack. A number of uh, uh, pawn shops came under severe attack for things they can't do, uh, the rules that were made. Abortion. My goodness, just abortion for what took place with that one. Now, not only um, do you get to have an abortion, they are actually paying people from other states to come stay here while they get their abortion. Who's paying for that? Well, you can say the Illinois state government. Governments produce nothing. They have no profit. They don't make a thing. They count on your gifts and your donations to be able to purchase what they're going to spend every legislative session. You follow where I'm coming from? So you are paying for the hotel stays, the meals, the treatment, all this taking place for people coming from Tennessee or Kentucky or Missouri or Indiana who want to come here to get an abortion. It's coming from your tax dollars. Before, when they had that horrible pornography that was supposed to be sex education in Illinois, I saw the textbook. It's wicked. It's just plain wicked. And it was required teaching from five-year-old, not, not all the, the sexual thing, but to be able to accept transgender, homosexual, all of that, that all that curriculum was in there, and schools were given the option not to teach it. They could opt out. So many schools opted out that during this lame duck session, they mandated it. Schools can't opt out of it now. You have to teach this. Kids, a lot of things happened during this lame duck session that are really constitutional violations. And I, I know they're going to go to court, and I know there's a lot of things going to change about it. Already the, the Safe T Act uh, had already been challenged and found unconstitutional. There's a lot of things going on with governments, how quickly they can do it. All right. Um, well, I, I think you're, what, what I'm simply saying is this. We should anticipate or even expect some form of persecution leading to arrest, not because Illinois is Illinois, not because the United States is the United States, but because Jesus said we would, because Paul said we would, because Peter knew we would, 
That is a part of our heritage. You can look over all of history and see that that is what takes place. All right? So uh, we should anticipate that. Uh, it may happen in a very short while. This rest from persecution may come to a close, and a new totalitarian government replace what we have now. If so, we want to be a people biblically prepared for life under persecution. No better examples can be given us than those found in Scripture. Acts 21 to 28 gives us an account of the arrest and imprisonment of the Apostle Paul and the way in which he handled it. Ultimately, he would be killed for his faith, and truly, that may be the fate of all who follow Christ in the coming years. Let our minds absorb the many accounts of our brothers and sisters worldwide over all generations who have suffered and died under the persecution. So, let's look at... Uh, uh, Acts 21. Let's just start there real quickly. So if you want to turn over to your, uh, in the Scriptures to Acts 21, there's going to be whole bodies of Scripture that we're not going to be able to look at tonight because there's just too much to read. But here's what it said. Acts 21.1, when, when we had departed from them and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard, so it may look a little different than yours, but I'm in Acts 21, 1 to 3. In verse 4, after looking up the disciples... We stayed there seven days. So they're entire. And entire, they are looking, up for, looking for disciples. They found them, and they're going to stay with those disciples seven days. And, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. All right, now you get the picture? They're worshiping and staying with other believers, and those other believers who are spirit, born again, spirit-filled people, are saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Please don't go to Jerusalem. Trouble awaits you in Jerusalem, okay? They knew that something was about to happen in Jerusalem. Let's go on further. When our days were ended, we left and started on our journey. While they all, with wives and children, escorted us, we were out of the city, until we were out of the city. After kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they, re and re they returned home again. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, that's the, that's the evangelist that, that went to Antioch, or I'm sorry, to uh, Samaria, and he led the Samaritans to Christ. He's the one that dealt with the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, so this, that's who this is. He's come to live in Caesarea. Uh, the seven speaks of the seven deacons that were elected. That Stephen was one of those, and uh, Philip was one of those. And they were the ones who took care of the widows early on in Jerusalem. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. 
That's how many warnings now. So let's go on further. When we had heard this, as we all as, as local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. So now all the believers everywhere along the way are saying, don't go to Jerusalem. They're reading the signs. They're recognizing what's going on. And they're wanting to tell Paul, don't go there. This is going to be trouble. The Jews are upset with you. And if you go there, you're going to be in trouble. So let's look at letter A. The opposition to the gospel and Paul's preaching of it became more intense with each year of ministry. So we should anticipate growing hostility to the gospel as it changes people's lives. Watch the signs and listen to the Spirit. That's counsel for us today. We're reading about something that happened about 2,000 years ago, and now we're trying to see what should we be aware of today. So we should be watching for signs and listening to the Spirit. He's completing another missionary tour, a mission tour, and is returning to Jerusalem, meeting with the new churches, their leaders, and families all the way back. Within every true fellowship of born-again persons, the Holy Spirit is very alive and a vital part of that ministry. Where he is not present, the gospel is being stifled or even not present. Everywhere he went, the Holy Spirit, through his people in the churches, is warning Paul that his life is in danger. So, in bold print, Anticipate that as spiritual opposition is building in the world of the spirits, it will be made known to the members and warnings may be given to those in leadership that the opposition could be preparing to take action. So know this, that as the spirit world, that's the world of all the principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness of this age, as they gin up opposition to the gospel going throughout the world, as they are saying, we don't want your gospel in our regions. We don't want your gospel approaching in. Remember, for every region of the world, there's a prince over it, a principality, a, a, an Elohim, a son of God that's over that area. And they're not appreciating it leaving Jerusalem. That's, that's where the Lord's supposed to live. It's leaving Jerusalem and it's going all over the place and it's encroaching on each of their countries. And while it's encroaching on their countries, the principalities of those countries are opposing it. And they're trying to stir up people about getting rid of this gospel thing. Everybody with me? Well, know this, when you stir up things in the spirit world, the Holy Spirit is in that world and he's passing on to people. There's good reason why you should be concerned about what's going on. And that's what was happening here. In that spirit world, they were being stirred up and they were try- the Spirit of God was telling believers in each of those churches that Paul was visiting, there's trouble ahead for Paul. There's trouble ahead for Paul. Trouble ahead for Paul. Okay? Well, let's go on further. <clears throat> then uh, verse 13, Paul says, Then Paul answered, Why are you doing? What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent. We just quit trying to talk to him about it, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Then whatever the Lord's going to do, do it. Okay. After these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus and a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. 
And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, began to glorify God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now, that may just sound like an innocent statement. Do you understand what he's saying? He is saying this, that the gospel has taken hold here in Jerusalem too. And this gospel that, that had 3,000 converts and, and was adding people onto it, now there are people among the Levites, among the priests, among those devoted to the law who have also turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're more devoted to the law now than they ever were. Gang, that's to be expected among the Jewish people. Why? Because that's what the new covenant is. The new covenant is a new, refreshing look at the old covenant. It is the old covenant written in your hearts instead of being on stone tablets. It's now motivation to want to serve and to love God. Everybody follow what we're seeing? And that's what was going on. As Jewish people, they were getting very excited about the gospel. But that also meant they expected all believers to be excited about the law, to be excited about following God, to be excited about being Jewish. The Gentiles didn't know how to do that. Ever see where we're at? And so they're starting letting Paul know, get the picture, son. The law is really very prominent here. We know who you are. We know what you've said. And there are people, well, as a matter of fact, let's go on and look and see what they say here. In verse 21, it says, And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. So now you've got all these Jewish folk who are hot and enthusiastic about the law and about everything Jewish, and they've heard that Paul is telling people, don't be. Don't get excited about the, the, the law. Get excited about the gospel, but don't be excited about the... Now, verse 22 says, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Therefore, do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walked orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat sacrificed to idols and from blood and for, from uh, what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice to the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each of them. So here's what we had seen. Every place that Paul was stopping, they were saying, don't go to Jerusalem. It's going to be trouble in Jerusalem. Every place he stopped, that's what was going on. But Paul wasn't to be deferred at all. He was going to do that. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I've got a vow I want to pay there. I've got things I want to do. If you remember, he was also taking an offering from all the Gentile churches to Jerusalem to give to the church in Jerusalem with the help for the poor. 
So he's, he's got his mind made up. I am going to Jerusalem. Nothing's going to stop me. But they're all telling him, trouble waits for you. When he gets to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem council is even telling him, there's going to be trouble here, son. You, you have walked into a hornet's nest. I don't know exactly what you were thinking, but whatever it was, there's going to be trouble here. Here's what we want you to do. Make yourself look as Jewish as possible. Keep everything you can do. Join up with other Jewish people. Don't show up with the Gentiles, okay? Make yourself Jewish as quick as you can. Does that make sense? Then Paul took them in the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice to the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. 27. When the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere. <laughs> Exaggeration and hyperbole are beautiful, are they not? All men everywhere. What kind of guy is this? How do you get to be all men everywhere? That's just their way of saying every place this guy goes, he's telling everybody, he says, anyway, all who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he's even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, did he preach against the Jewish people? Never. He never preached against the Jewish people. But they've said here, he preaches against our people and the law. Did he ever preach against the law? No, he did not preach against the law. Much like what Jesus did, he did speak against the traditions. That's different from the law. Everybody follow me? And this place, did he ever speak against the temple? No, no. He did not speak against the temple. Did he encourage Gentiles to make pilgrimage to the temple? No, he didn't. Why? Not their temple. It's not their, you understand where I'm coming from? It wasn't for them. Well, let's go on further. Uh, also, it says, besides he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Okay, so if he had brought Greeks into the temple, that would have defiled it according to the law. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So they saw Paul walking around with a Gentile guy. And if he's walking around with a Gentile guy and he's going to go to the temple, it, you could assume that he brought Trophimus with him. Did they ever see Trophimus in the temple? No. So know this about when, when riots take place. Riots usually take place with loads and loads of exaggeration and statements that are not true. They are statements that are made to inflame people. They're made to upset people. And these guys are making those. They want the people upset and inflamed because they hate Paul. And they want him killed, if at all possible. All right? So uh, let's see what I've got here. Letter D. It was no real surprise to him when the Spirit's warning began to unfold. He was recognized and accused by his adversaries. So we should know that we are being watched for our faith and the opportune time is being waited for. 
Just because somebody has not acted against uh, the churches right now doesn't mean they're not going to. It just means simply the opportune time has not come. They're, they're going to be waiting for that opportune time. Everybody follow on that? All right. His adversaries sought to gain public support. Cowards will always seek to find help by public speech, the use of available media, and exaggerated inflammatory words. So when cowards are wanting to take advantage of someone, that's what they'll do. They'll get on uh, Facebook and they'll begin to say, this is what they did, this is what they did, and they did this right here, they did this right here. Gang, if you're a part of that, stop. Don't, don't get engaged in exaggerated inflammatory words. All that, that's not helpful, that's not good, that doesn't do anything good for anyone, okay? You don't have to have an opinion and express it, okay? It strikes with, and, and with physical violence. They want to kill the messenger. Look at 31 and 30, 30 and 31. Then all the city was provoked and the people rushed together. Taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. They're going to make sure no more Gentiles get back in that place. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. <laughs> Man, all these words, these alls and every and other. At once, he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So what do you know they were doing? They're trying to kill him. They met seriously. They're going to kill him. So they were beating him. And this was all vigilante justice. This was, there's no trial, no court going on here. The exaggerated and inflamed words have got everybody stirred up, and they believe this man is teaching something that he wasn't teaching. All right. It strikes with physical violence, number three and under letter D. When the strike comes, we should not expect it will be peaceful and orderly. More damage can be done through violence brought on by false understanding. So there be, there's going to be times when uh, there's going to be a break in those protest lines someplace and hostilities are going to come, okay? Legal authorities will likely get involved at some point, sometimes to protect and sometimes as the antagonists. In this case, it was to protect Paul from the public beating he was receiving, right? We should not be surprised if some physical harm takes place before the authorities are involved. They cannot be all places at all times, and adversaries will take advantage of their absence to perform vigilante justice. We have good police departments here in Fairview Heights. We have good police officers, and they are quick to respond. But, Wayne, can they get there as soon as the trouble starts? No. There's not a chance. There's not a chance for them to get there. To do that, they would have to be stationed at every business, every home, every... You follow what I'm saying? And there's not that many. There's not, you can't have that many. So they can't be every place at once. So there's a good chance that physical harm could take place. I can think of two guys that went under physical harm right here on this property because the police couldn't get there in time. It all happened too quickly. I, I'm, I'm guessing the violent part took place with uh, three, three to four minutes max? Less. Less. Yeah. So all of that was done in minutes. So how long does it take people to grab a hold of uh, the uh, Apostle Paul, throw him to the ground, start beating him? 
Now, one advantage he may have had is this. There's too many of them. And a lot of times when too many are together, throwing punches, they hit each other. They're not hitting the target, and you can hope you can crawl away sometime in that melee. But uh, whatever it is, uh, we should not be surprised some physical harm takes place. Uh, when people are stirred enough. Now, even as I'm saying this, kids, I'm talking to you about a potential future time. I'm not talking about tomorrow. I'm not talking about next Sunday. Everybody follow me? I'm not trying to work up in us uh, this uh, fear that we're constantly watching for any, anybody that shows up here. That's, that'd be crazy. That's not more. I'm just saying when that whole governmental thing starts changing, and when the attitude gets more and more publicly expressed, when the Holy Spirit is beginning to say, trouble is coming, trouble is coming, that's when we need to be aware. So what I wanted to do was go through the steps here so that we can be thinking them through, what should we do if in three years such problem starts? Okay. Number, six, number five, arrests will take place for protection, for filing charges, or for sorting out what the problem is. Sometimes when the police, uh, I was talking with um, some guys about active shooters. And when an active shooter is, is taking place in a public place and armed c- citizens are there and they start trying to take that person out, when the police arrive, who do they know is the shooter? Whoever's got a gun in their hand. You follow me? It's whoever it is. They don't know one from another. They don't know who the active shooter is. They just know there's a lot of people with guns there. And you could be one of those that just happened to have a gun drawn or whatever it was, and you're going to be in trouble from that. And I, I, he's not make that statement. That makes it sound like we're all going to sit around shooting each other. That's not that farthest thing from my mind. All I'm simply saying is when the police arrive, they don't know the good boys from the bad boys. If, if they hear the statement that there's a riot going on in uh, the parking lot of the mall and they show up at the parking lot of the mall, who's the troublemaker? Anybody that's in that parking lot. There, there, could, there could be any of them pe- of those people, right? So uh, they have to be able to sort out what the problem is. Look for opportunities to make your case for preaching Christ. Take advantage of every legal break right, uh, uh, right of, and right of citizenship you can. Be ready to defend why you believe what you do from your history, your testimony, and the Word of God. But know that your accusers are not dealing with actual truth, but with their opinion of what you have done to them, their culture, their security. They had already told exaggerated stories about what was going on, what Paul was guilty of. They already told that. So Paul's getting the chance. Let's see. Um, um, let's pick up in verse 30, 33. Then the commander came up, took hold of him, and ordered him to be bound by two chains, and he began asking who he was and what he had done. That's normal. That's what guys are supposed to do. They don't know. They were, they're just showing up to, to put, bring order back into place. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. Then, and when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. So you've got to get someplace quiet. 
some pace away from the trouble. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. He couldn't even walk. Because if he walked, they were grabbing him from all kinds of directions. For the multitude of the people kept following them, shouting, Away with him. As Paul was about to be brought into my barracks, into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Then, then you, because uh, Paul had spoken to him in Greek. So he says, Do you know Greek then? He said, You're not the Egyptian? who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? Paul said, no, I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no insignificant city, and I beg you, allow me to speak. When he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the stairs, motioned to the people with his hand, and when there was a great hush, he spoke to them in the Hebrew dialect. So Paul knows Greek and Hebrew both. So he speaks to the Roman in Greek, and the Roman says, what, you're not an Egyptian? I thought you were the Egyptian. No, I'm a Jew of Tarsus. And he hears it, this word, a citizen of no insignificant city. Paul's not stupid. Why do you think he said that? It's because citizenship means something to a Roman soldier. He was not permitted to do the same thing to a citizen that he was to a non-citizen. So he had to be careful. So Paul is carefully choosing his words. He speaks to the Roman in Greek about his citizenship. Is this beginning to tell you what we need to be thinking about as, as we come into those times? But he speaks to the people in the Hebrew dialect. We don't know whether that Roman knows what the Hebrew is or not, but we know that Paul's going to speak to him in Hebrew because he's speaking to Hebrew-speaking people. They also knew Greek, but he wasn't giving his message in Greek lest the Romans understand that message too. He's giving them to him in Hebrews. All right? So he says to him, verse 22, or chapter 22, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense which I now offer to you. And when he heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew. Okay, let's get this. What he's going to do now is establish who he is, why he's done what he's done, to try to correct some of the things they have said about him. Because it's not all true, and he's trying to correct it. Well, we're not going to read all of the things that are here. But what he does, he gives them his history. He tells them what his relationship originally was with this movement there. He tells them that he was a persecutor of that movement, that that's who he was. He was taught here uh, by Gamaliel uh, or Gamaliel. And now he tells about his conversion and why he was converted, that he didn't just change his mind. He met Jesus along the way to Damascus. That changed him. He had met the risen Savior. Guys, that is a life changer, and that's what changed Paul from being a persecutor of the church to a teacher in the church. All right. So let's, uh, <clears throat> number six in our outline here, look for opportunities to make your case for preaching, for preaching Christ. Take advantage of every legal break and write a citizenship you can. Be ready to defend why you believe what you do from your history, your testimony, and the Word of God. So Paul's reviewing his history. This is who I am. This is where I came from. Your testimony, 
This is what happened to me and why I changed. And now he's got to tell them it's the Word of God that's doing this. But know that your accusers are not dealing with the actual truth, but with their opinion of what you've done to them, their culture, and their security. Those opinions are hard to override sometimes, kids, because that's what people think. Don't be hesitant to bring up your rights as a citizen. In our country, that may mean asking for an attorney before you answer any more questions. But calmly answer what you can. You can be calm because you had already anticipated it was going to happen. All right? Now, from here on, uh, this is going to cover everything from 23 or 22 here all the way through 28. Because this is about trials, imprisonments, statements that are made, things he's going to be doing there. So um, let me pick up. Yeah, let's, let's just look these real quick. Do not hesitate to create division among those who question you. This diversion will divide the accusing party as to the object of their complaint. What Paul did uh, while he's talking, he recognizes that some of his accusers are Sadducees. Some of his accusers are Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in the world of spirits. They thought they believed only in what was directly said in the first five books. They didn't believe in any of the rest of that. They believed in those first five books. So they didn't believe in a resurrection. But the Pharisees believed all the prophets, and they believed that there was going to be a resurrection coming someday. So they held to the resurrection. So what Paul did with these guys who are united against him, they're ready to have him crucified if they possibly can, all he did is said, you know what, all, just let's get down to the brass tacks, guys. I'm on trial here for the resurrection. That divided his accusers. Because the Sadducees were saying, resurrection, there is no resurrection. And the Pharisees were saying, wait a minute, are, are you guys questioning him about the resurrection? We, we believe in the resurrection. Sadducees saying, we don't. So the argument now starts happening between them. So that Paul is squirting out, if he would. He's leaving the whole thing while they have an argument about it. Don't be afraid to create that kind of diversion uh, with, with the people that you need to talk with. Do not expect your adversaries to fight fair or to appreciate the slowness of the legal system when it is revenge they are seeking. If incarceration and removal from public view and influence is a desired effect, then we can anticipate that we'll delay the process as long as possible. If it is your removal from earth they have in mind, they will develop strategies for taking matters into their own hands. So these guys, while Paul's awaiting in jail, they decide that what they're going to do is wait secretly. And they're going to ambush whatever Roman guards are protecting him, kill the guards, and then kill Paul. Well, they're talking about that, and Paul's nephew hears about it. And he runs and tells the commander, they're going to kill my uncle. Who's going to kill your uncle? These Jewish people here. What? Yeah, where did you hear that? And he tells them, and so on and so forth. So that guy decides that night, we're getting Paul out of here and over to Caesarea. So under cover of darkness, with no warning, they take Paul out, and they avoid the whole ambush thing. All right? So get this. Those guys that wanted to kill Paul were not willing to wait on a legal process to get it done. They wanted him dead. 
And if that meant they would violate the Roman uh, authorities, then they were going to violate the Roman authorities. Ever see where we're at? All right. Number 10. Until the matter is resolved, you might expect more trials and perhaps more incarceration. Take advantage of the downtime and speak to your captors of the gospel. But stick to your story. Keep telling them how God has touched you and saved your life. Um, I don't know how many of you remember uh, back during the Cold War when great numbers of believers were behind the Iron Curtain and they were repeatedly arrested, beaten, tortured. They kept to their story. They kept talking about Jesus. They kept talking about how they were saved and they kept trying to witness to their torturers all the time. There were times that their torturers did come to know Christ at great cost to themselves for doing it. That's what Paul kept doing, that wherever he was, he was talking to his captors, talking to the ones who were holding him, talking to whoever he get a chance to. If he's brought before kings, he would tell them, I am before you today because uh, I'm on trial for believing in the way, in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm believing that he is the son of God. And they, so you go ahead with that whole gospel thing. And sometimes those leaders and rulers would say, stop, stop, stop. We don't, we're not interested. Don't talk anymore. We don't hear any more about that. Okay? But other times they'd say, I'm almost persuaded. You almost tricked me into that. I'm, I'm, I almost believe you, but I'm not going to do it now. All right. All right. Number 11, keep appealing to the highest courts if the matter is not resolved. Take advantage of the legal system and the rights granted you. If a means of escape opens before you, do, before you, do not take it unless your guilt be assumed be correct. Assume, use every means available to speak the gospel and demonstrate the kingdom citizenship. Here's what we mean by that one. Paul quit letting the, the lower courts be what was the final authority. He appealed ultimately to Caesar. That's the Supreme Court. And one of the kings said, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, I'd let him go. He hasn't done anything. There's, there's no reason for him being on trial here. But he appealed to Caesar. Okay. Well, appealing to Caesar, that has to take place in Rome. So to get to Rome, you have to go across the ocean. When they went across the ocean, Paul had warned the commander, look, we better stay in the bay right now because uh, there's a storm coming and I think we won't make it. Well, the commander decided, forget that. I am going to go ahead. I need to get to Rome quicker than I... So he took off, and they were shipwrecked. Now, at being shipwrecked, that was an ideal time for Paul to just split. You could have got, got away. But he didn't. He stayed with the, the, the captors. He talked to the captors about the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he talked to the other prisoners about the Lord Jesus Christ. And those guys didn't lose one soul, all right? Now... Number 12, in the end, your life and future are in the hands of God, as was the life of Christ. Justice may not, done, may not be done at all. There may be a great miscarriage of justice. You may be misunderstood. You may be put on trial. You may be found guilty of, not, of nothing at all. Paul kept taking advantage of his time under arrest to preach the gospel. If God chooses to, I should stop and say right here, verse chapter 28 is all about while he's in Rome under house arrest, he, he brought all the key Jewish leaders to his home and tried to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they listened for a while and finally said, no, we're not, we're not going to go with Jesus as the Messiah. 
And Paul said, you know, I'm shaking the dust off my feet with you guys. I, I'm not going to be fooling around with Jewish people anymore. I'm going strictly to the Gentiles now. They'll listen. You won't listen. You are as hard-hearted as your parents were. All right? If God chooses to release you to freedom again, praise God. But if he should choose to leave you there, then make the best of it. But there's a very real possibility that the worst miscarriage of justice may result in your home going to the Father. We must be ready as we learn to read the signs. All right? There we go. That's the, the end of uh, chapters, uh, the end of the book of Acts from what we can see about how, what was happening when Jerusalem was, it was coming up against Rome. Obviously, that was a turmoil time, very tumultuous, because the people are confused about what, how, you're, how this new religion is going to work out. What are going to be the rules of the church? And unlike Israel, when Israel was formed in a nation, there aren't a lot of head, hard and steadfast rules. They're not business rules down here. There's not a Torah written for the church. So we, we have to uh, figure out what was it Jesus wanted it to go.